You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Welcome back, everybody. One more hour in our broadcasting month, Saturday evening, January the 27th. We're back now with our friend Taylor Young, a member of the editorial staff at Antelope Hill Publishing, antelopehillpublishing.com. We have entered into a partnership with... Uh, our friends over at Antelope Hill over the course of the last uh, year, year and a half. And uh, as you know, usually the last uh, Saturday of each month, uh, we feature a different uh, writer, a different book from uh, Antelope Hill. And give me a home where the buffalo roam and the deer and the antelope play. That's, <laughs> that's where we are now. Absolutely right. Well, uh, anyway, uh, Taylor is back with us now, uh, and uh, we'll say hello to him. Taylor, how are you? Hello, I'm doing great. Very happy to be on here again. First one this year, and I'm I'm very excited. All right. Uh, well, it's great to have you. And this book, I really enjoyed all of the authors. Uh, Taylor is the one we actually work with. I'll give you a little behind-the-scenes information. Uh, Taylor is the one we work with uh, to uh, book a, a lot of the different authors there at Antelope Hill, and sometimes he appears in his own right as well. And I've enjoyed all of the books that we've talked about and all of the different personalities. But this book especially, I think, for me personally, uh, struck uh, a particular chord of interest. Brand new, just released, Generation 68, as in 1968, The Elite Revolution and Its Legacy. Uh, now, this was written by Carrie Bolton, and I'm just going to read the first paragraph of the back cover here. Marked by cultural revolution and bold new ways of thinking and living, including revolutions in philosophical thought, economic practices, and cultural touchstones such as music and dress, the 1960s ushered in a new era. However, in Generation 68, the elite revolution and its legacy, prolific author Carrie Bolton argues that the supposed grassroots, quote-unquote, youth revolt of the 1960s was anything but. Instead of a bottom-up revolt of the youth, it was in fact a top-down revolt of the elites. Now, this was interesting because, you know, certainly we focus on so much the so-called civil rights movement, how that was all a stage-produced thing, and I never really looked at the white side of the so-called countercultural revolution of that time. Yeah, see, I lived through this, um, Taylor, and it's, um, you're right, it was sold as being some type of bottom-up youth revolution, you know, starting with the Mario Savio-led free speech movement at Berkeley in 1964, and the Days of Rage, the Democratic presidential nominating convention in 1968 is basically where the Democratic Party got a new set of leaders, the old typical labor union socialist slash communist uh, Standard Marxists were replaced by the cultural Marxists. But the cultural Marxists, to me at least, didn't seem like they were ready to take over. The, when they actually got control in the next presidential election, they had a historic loss, fifty, I mean 49 states to one, with George McGovern. But uh, they've, they've stayed in power. A am I wrong with my assessment there? Tell me well, if any of that is a, a missing yeah. point. No, no, I, it's it's, um, it's it's spot on. I think. I mean, um, 
It's very interesting. One of the things the book talks a lot about is how, just like you're saying, you had kind of these more old school Marxists or communists um, who really, who you know, were, were part of the Soviet Union or, or grew up in its, its shadow. And, you know, they were uh, part of the influence of the Soviet Union on the world in its attempt to create the worldwide communist revolution. And so what the U.S. did through the CIA particularly um, during this time period was just manufacture a new leftism, like you called it a, a cultural Marxism, that was um, sometimes it was more anti-Soviet than it was basically anything else. Certainly than it was, you know, attached to what you would think of as like traditionally leftist issues like labor rights or, or um, decolonization or whatever. Um, but, you know, this was entirely a top-down manufactured by an intelligence agency as well as, you know, a big uh, um, individual donors and, and stuff like that, people like the Ford Foundation and the Rockefellers. Um, and this whole movement, this new left movement was manufactured basically entirely to support America's foreign policy goals and America's foreign policy agenda, which included undermining the Soviet Union um, and then moved on from that to undermining America's own allies and taking, you know, some of those leftist or new left narratives like decolonization and stuff like that and applying it to the British and the French. And, and all of it is just to um, decrease the influence of anyone other than America on the world stage. And then at the same time, domestically, you know, uh, like like you alluded to, there was a cultural revolution going on where there was an attack on uh, what remained of traditional American society and uh, collective American society. And there was a push for um, commercialization and this, um, you know, this pretty like degenerate individualized culture that uh, really ruined the country in, in a lot of ways. So that's a lot well, of what the, the book is about. Well, you know. To put it in the baldest terms possible, it was an anti-white movement. Everything that the left did pretended to be something that it was not. For example, the civil rights movement was not pro-black, it was anti-white. The feminist movement wasn't pro-woman, it was anti-male. The homosexual rights movement wasn't pro-homosexual, it was anti-heterosexual. And, you know, down the line and that's what they were basically deconstructing society according to um like the authoritarian uh, personality uh pamphlet written by um theodore adorno back in the early 50s uh and herbert marcuse and people like this were like the uh thought leaders of cultural marxism in america and they wanted to mobilize the students as a revolutionary cadre, but and also all minorities. Uh, and see, the old-fashioned leftists like Hubert Humphrey, you know, they basically uh, um, got knocked out and they've never uh, gotten up off the canvas since. Uh, that's where I saw what was going on. I remember the Chicago 7. I, in fact, I did a project in college where I interviewed people to get their ideas about the Chicago 7 and down here in Memphis it was almost unanimously negative towards them but that didn't matter because the people in charge of the media wanted to portray them as heroic 
you had all these so-called heroic groups like the Symbionese Liberation Army and the uh, SDS Weathermen and stuff like this that were supposed to be seen as, you know, uh, avatars of, you know, a brave new world. And, you know, it, it was it was a time of great turmoil in the Democratic Party and it, what threw the Republicans into the presidency. And, you know, they they basically stayed in for over 10 years or maybe even 12 years. Well, it basically from Nixon until, uh, I guess, Clinton, uh, the Republican Party won all the presidencies. Am I missing something here? Or what do you think? Sorry. Uh, yeah, well... Um, it definitely was a huge um, part of the civil rights movement. This this whole you know elite organized the civil revolution. Yeah, and and uh, there is some very interesting information on that in here as well. I mean, I I learned that uh, um, MLK's bail uh, when he was uh, jailed in Montgomery was personally uh, put up by Nelson Rockefeller. Um, so I, I didn't know that before. Um, but they just used to like talk about saying, Rockefeller Republicans, you know, back yeah, then, that was yeah. the liberal branch of the Republicans. Barry Goldwater was a conservative group. Yeah, and that that's that's a part of um, of this as well. The kind of like Goldwater reaction and and some of the reaction on the Republican side that took place to this. Um, and they were in in, in power for uh, for a while, um, <clears throat> but I think that. You know, even when we we look in in hindsight, like the cultural effects of this movement were so they were so effective and they were so total that you know the the same ideas ended up permeating the Republican Party ultimately as well. I mean, the Republican Party hasn't been pro white in I you know arguably ever honestly, but but certainly not in a, in a long long time, and it has been just as committed um, in many cases to the same kind of uh, cultural. Uh, pushes to toward uh, um, degeneracy and the undermining of American culture as and, and you're um, right too about that being the see the problem was the elite on both parties had been converted to this alright let's take a quick break right there I told Taylor uh, via email earlier this week that Keith having been between the three of us one who is actually there and present for the 1960s would be great to have on for this particular interview and uh, we're going to continue to talk about the book this newest release at antelope hill generation 68 the elite revolution and its legacy by carrie bolton stay tuned this is a comprehensive book 25 chapters nearly 400 pages we'll continue to sink our teeth into it Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. While you're waiting, drop by our Confederate corner for a free cup of coffee and good conversation. Remember, there are no strangers here, just friends who haven't met yet. Dixie Republic, we're not just a roadside attraction, we're a destination for our people. For more information, visit DixieRepublic.com.
Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the Lion of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. We're back with Taylor Young of the Antelope Hill Editorial Board, antelopehillpublishing.com, talking about this uh, new release. Very interesting, Generation 68, the Elite Revolution and its Legacy. You know, we talk often about the content at Antelope Hill, how good it is, but it's not just the content. I mean, I guess that's the most important part, but uh, of almost equal importance is the fact that it is presented well. It is presented sharp and attractive, and you need that uh, when you're attempting to uh, put forth a message. Reading again a little bit more from the book, uh, the author, Carrie Bolton, echoes the assessment that both the left and its supposed antithesis, capitalism, share in their roots a rebellious spirit against authenticity. And he goes on to stress how the manipulation of the so-called youth revolt played a primary role in what has brought us to the modern predicament, a world completely lacking in objectivity and authenticity. Generation 68 exposes the phoniness of the 1960s youth revolt for what it is and delves into its various aspects and effects, including the Cold War CIA origins of certain youth movements, hip capitalism uh, of Woodstock, Hare, and Hollywood uh, uh, co-optations, federal agency and founding funding for radical groups, including the Students for a Democratic Society, the SDS, the 68 revolts in Paris, the United States in Prague, and employment of new leftists in the Peace Corps, Vista, etc. You remember any of this, Keith? remember it all, and I remember, too, that it kind of all grew out of the Civil Rights Movement. The left struck gold with the Civil Rights Movement. They became uh, righteous and holy and, uh, like Caesar's wife, beyond reproach because of that. And the South which was on the other side who knew the racial realities that were, um, you know, going to raise their ugly heads regardless of what the laws were. They were looking for a home. They used to be part of the old Democratic coalition uh, and a vital part. They're the reason why, you know, uh, from uh, the Herbert Hoover administration, uh, you know, from the Roosevelt administration on until in the 50s, they were in charge because of the South and the votes that Southerners brought to it. But after the Civil Rights Movement, it became clear that uh, it had been a complete rout of the uh, forces of conservatism. They were looking for a home, and they got into the Republican Party, but they forgot that the Republicans were the liberals before the Democrats were the liberals. And I think, you know, people like Nelson Rockefeller and Richard Nixon were really liberals. They had always been liberals on racial issues, for example. So uh, basically, as weak as the new left was, 
they were uh, stronger than the uh, cobbled together Republican coalition. Well, we're going to go through some of the 25 chapters just to give you an idea of the contents of the book. Now, you can actually read along for yourself at antelopehillpublishing.com. You can click on this title and then browse through the table of contents. But uh, back to Taylor Young, our guest. Uh, Taylor, uh, Antelope Hill is very selective about what it chooses to publish. Why was this something that uh, you wanted to get out to the reading public? Well, I think it's a very important book. Um, there's a lot of information in here that is very relevant, it's very informative to how we got to where we are, and it's it's uh, it's you can even glean from the table of contents. It's it's very very well researched. There's a lot of information packed in here about different groups and different people and different events. Um, and I think it does a really good job at putting it all together and giving you a a full picture of how total this cultural revolution was and how totally controlled and, and top-down created it was. Um, and I, I think it really, you know, goes to show that, um, you know, all, all this stuff like the, the, you know, the civil rights movement and um, the color revolutions abroad and the changes that have taken place in American society and on college campuses and all that, um, it, it really came from, from these people, to a large degree at least, they attained power first and then they used that to create these, you know, supposedly organic looking movements um, to, you know, continue to destroy ultimately their own country. I mean, it's a, when you kind of step back and look at it, it's a very strange thing to think about that you have your own elites trying to destroy your own country and uh, undermine their own people. Uh, like he said earlier, you know, this is ultimately, it was an anti-white revolution. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a strange thing to consider when you step back and look at it, but, but that's, that's what it was. And that uh, brings us to uh, where we are today and what we have to deal with. Well, it's a, um, it was like you exactly as you said. It was disguised as being some grassroots uprising. I remember there was a movie that came out about this time called Wild in the Streets, uh, where apparently they were going to kill everybody over thirty and whatnot. In the movie, it was a silly kind of uh, you know, a worshipful look at the uh, youthful left at the time. But it wasn't so much a youthful left as it was a Jewish left. And that, that has become the great taboo, the thing that you cannot mention. You know, as, um, as Voltaire supposedly said, if you want to know who rules over you, ask who you're not allowed to criticize. Well, all of that was going on. Most of these new left people, you know, uh, there are a few exceptions like Tom Hayden, but most of them like Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, were Jewish. And they were the ones that were, you know, taking center stage. And quite frankly, the, the fact that they were Jewish was not advertised. And people were wondering what in the heck is going on. And in a place like Memphis, for example, we didn't have a lot of student radicals. You had a, a, a few guys growing their hair long because they wanted to get laid, uh, tried to pretend like they were uh, hippies and whatnot. But, you know, it was a mile wide and an inch deep. Nobody really believed in that stuff. And we were wondering, we thought that basically the whole country had gone mad. Uh, you know, the yippie movement and the, uh, you know, days of rage uh, and Chicago's Democratic mayor daily, you know, coming in and cr uh, cracking skulls and whatnot. That was, you know, that was 
exactly what they wanted, but it was a complete misrepresentation of what was going on. You were right. It was an elite revolution, not a grassroots revolution. Yeah, and, and to your point about the Jewish influence, I mean, you know, if you read through the book, there's so many Rubens and Cohens and, and other such names. Um, it, it really, it, it definitely, I think, um, helps to explain what really happened here, that this was basically an, an elite that did not identify itself with the, the people of this country, and, and so it had ultimately no mercy on them. Well, they tried to pretend like something like the Port Huron Statement, which is what uh, the SDS weathermen came up with as their agenda for change. That had nothing at all to do with what was going on. The decisions were being made on Wall Street and Madison Avenue. Yep, and there were so many of these organizations that were directly funded by Wall Street and, and by uh, people who made their fortune on there. I think actually one of them, uh, again, I didn't know before, was the uh, NAACP was um, conceived of and, and funded by a um, uh, Wall Street. Uh, yeah, well, well, it, it was. It was a Wall Street Jew. I forget. His, I think his name was, was Cohen or, or, or Kuhn or something like that. So. Well, every president of the NAACP up until Ben Hooks of Memphis in the mid-70s was a Jewish male. Not a black, but a Jew. Yeah, that's crazy. And and they um, on what they also did on the other hand was, you know, they kind of uh, um, elevated or, or pushed along like some of the more radical black movements like the Black Panthers and black separatism and, you know, so-called black nationalism, which the book makes the point that in many cases there's really no, you know, serious ideology to speak of there. It's these are just thugs that, that are using uh, these, you know, these new Marxist terms uh, as cover, and they, they would use that, and they would point to that and say, you know, hey, like, America, the, this is the other alternative, like this, or, or you have, you know, so-called moderates like like MLK. Um, so it, it was a, kind of the start of this this dialectic where they didn't really present people with, with any option other than, you know, to uh, um, take this cultural revolution and, and go down either the hard road or the, you know, even harder road. Well, see, MLK was a complete invention, and the reason he was in Memphis where he was assassinated was because he had been famous for being able to have these protests and not have them devolve into, you know, uh, violent uprisings. Well, in Memphis, at the time, they had a group of young Turks called the Invaders that infiltrated the ranks of the marchers, and as soon as they got started, they just started breaking out windows, stealing stuff and whatnot, and it was a major embarrassment to the civil rights of, I guess, of, you know, head table. And King had to come back to Memphis to prove that he could actually uh, be in charge of a nonviolent uh, uh, march, which was supposed to happen, you know, and in the meantime, he got assassinated. And, of course, the assassination had to have some major league help. You have a criminal, uh, James Earl Ray, who couldn't even knock over a liquor store or a convenience store without being caught the next day. He'd never been out of the country. He eludes an FBI dragnet, uh, goes to Canada. Then he's never been out of the country before. He manages somehow to get a passport and go to Europe and stay there for a couple of months until he's eventually captured in England. But, see, none of that 
makes sense. None of that, you know, is within the realm of possibility. Something was going on. It's just, you know, uh, assassination, you know, people are talking about what will they do? Will they assassinate Trump if he gets elected? Well, they've been assassinating people basically since the William McKinley assassination. Uh, you know, the same group. Uh, and, you know, Martin Luther King was probably one of them. And see, all of this was uh, disguised and, and uh, supposedly grassroots lone wolves doing stuff like this. And that's just, you know, it's beggar's belief. We'll be right back with Taylor Young of Antelope Hill Publishing discussing the brand new book. You can buy it tonight, Generation 68, The Elite Revolution and Its Legacy. We're going to get into some of those chapters and talking points right after this. Exposing corruption, informing citizens, pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Corey Myers. A Russian military transport plane that was carrying 74 people, including 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war, crashed today in a border region near Ukraine. Everyone on board was killed. A Russian state news agency reported that the POWs were being transported to the border region for a prisoner exchange. Marijuana sales in Michigan were high last year. A report from the Michigan Cannabis Regulatory Agency says that sales of cannabis were over $3 billion, which is higher than the alcohol sales in the state. As expected, not everyone is happy with that news, with some upset about marijuana's effects on the social problems in the state. If you're curious, that total works out to just over $300 per person in the state of Michigan. Former President Donald Trump won New Hampshire's Republican presidential primary yesterday, defeating former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley in New Hampshire and moving him closer to a rematch with President Biden this fall. Trump's campaign celebrated his win by sending a fundraising text to supporters declaring this race is over. And just a little note to Nikki She's not going to win. Haley says she's not going anywhere and plans to stay in the race. Western China reeling from aftershocks after a 7.1 magnitude earthquake yesterday in a remote part of the country. About 12,000 people were staying in tents and shelters. Three people were killed, five injured, hundreds of buildings were damaged. The death toll is considered relatively light thanks to the low population around the epicenter of the quake. This is USA News. The inventor and CEO of MyPillow is always looking for ways to solve everyday problems. Have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you go to use it, it's not very absorbent? It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry. That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels. Towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing. Towels that actually dry you. The six-piece towels that includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now, 
now you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.98 with promo code USA. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set of MyPillow towels, just go to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special and enter promo code USA or call 800-951-8175. That's MyPillow.com, promo code USA. The Honorable Cause of Free South is a collection of 12 essays written by Southern Nationalist authors. The book explores topics such as what is the Southern nation, what is Southern nationalism, and how can we achieve a free and independent Dixie. The Honorable Cause answers questions on our own terms. The book invites readers to understand for themselves why a free and independent Dixie is both preferable and possible. The book pulls in some of the biggest producers of pro-South content, including James Edwards, the host and creator of The Political Cesspool, and Wilson Smith, author of Charlottesville Untold, Arkansas congressional candidate and activist Neil Kumar, host and creator of the Dissident Mama podcast, Rebecca Dillingham, author of A Walk in the Park, My Charlottesville Story, Identity Dixie's Patrick Martin, and yours truly, Michael Hill, founder and president of the League of the South, as well as several other authors. The Honorable Cause is available now at Amazon.com. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-888-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. All right, back with Taylor Young talking about one of Antelope Hill Publishing's most recently unveiled titles, Generation 68, The Elite Revolution and Its Legacy. Kerry Bolton wrote it, Taylor Young on tonight to promote it, and there is a lot of content here, Keith Alexander. I was wrong. I said 25 chapters. I stopped short. It's 31 uh, and uh, nearly 450 pages. Let's go through some of the things uh, that are addressed in this book. And really, there's nothing that isn't addressed from that era uh, that this book doesn't cover or, or touch on. It was on. a true watershed. The 68 uh, Democratic Nominating Convention uh, was ahead of it. Well, this is some of the uh, aspects of that so-called revolution that the book tackles. Building the liberal international order, Freudian PR, interstage left, the critical theorist. This is talking about, of course, Herbert Marcuse, Keith, who you've talked about many times. The origins of the new left, student world federalists, world assembly of youth, international student conference, students for democratic action, students for democratic society, uh, the establishment agenda, the Port Huron statement, sponsoring campus tumult, uh, 
the Peace Corps, the Goldwater Revolt. Now, that was a very interesting chapter in all of this. But uh, the new, le- uh, excuse me, the new Reconstruction, race riots and oligarchs, Harlem and Columbia. Uh, continuing on, Saul Alinsky is covered uh, in, a, in a chapter. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Obviously, you know what they're getting into with that in the period of the, of the late 60s. Uh, hippies. Uh, Eugene McCarthy, Wall Street and Vietnam, the Chicago 7, or was it 8? Uh, the explosive issue of student restlessness. Germany, new left defined by Nazi past. Uh, and then a legacy and a conclusion. But I think early in the book is something I want to touch on, Taylor. And that is the significance of 1968. You look at all of this. Let's talk about the significance and what uh, of those chapters and that myriad of topics that this book comprehensively covers. Uh, two-part question. What was the significance of 68? I know we've been talking about it already. And of all of the things that the book covers, what sort of fascinated you the most about that time and the American experiment? Um, well, it was it was a very, uh, I think, like... Uh, uh, Keith was uh, saying a minute ago, it was a very uh, pivotal date for this whole transformation and for the various movements and, and the people that uh, um, took part in it um, and that kind of put it together. Um, I think in, in line with that, one of the things that, that fascinated me uh, the most about the book, and I, I think we kind of alluded to this a little earlier, but... Um, you really had it's it's amazing to me the way you had in this new left movement you you had this synthesis between uh like capitalism and capitalism's ability to degrade culture and to atomize society and at the same time uh leftist narratives and and leftist um um kind of just like a a cloak uh, over things like decolonization, stuff like that, you know, a world government, uh, um, pushing and pushing stuff like that. And, um, really what it all came together to do was just to serve America's foreign policy interests at the time. So America through this was able to attack the Soviet union, uh, attack it from the left. And then it was able to, uh, transition that into attacking all other competitors basically and and all other um, remnants of national sovereignty around the world and to create uh, its its modern empire built on uh, Wall Street and its interests and and total free trade, the destruction of trade barriers and national barriers around the world, Um, and uh, even military interventions, you know, in places like Libya and Iraq and so on, and color revolutions all around the world. And all of this was supported and it was put into action in many cases by, you know, these supposedly like leftist uh, student movements and these supposedly Marxist student movements. And, um, you know, not that there's any any value to uh, Marxism kind of in and of itself, but it's just it's it's pretty amazing when you kind of step back and and look at what they pulled off here and uh, the way that they got all these supposedly revolutionary movements and supposedly revolutionary organizations and, and students uh, to just to be uh, American imperialists for the benefit of Wall Street. Well, you know, uh, Taylor, they they were drunk with power from the civil rights movement successes they'd had over the past, you know, decade before from, you know, the mid-50s into the mid-60s. And uh, they had to take over the Democratic Party and get out the old guard 
socialists, communists, leadership typified by people like Hubert Humphrey. But there was no place for the conservatives to go after Goldwater got routed. What was left after Goldwater in the Republican Party were a bunch of people that had been leftists before. Uh, you know, they used to have the black and tan Republican clubs in the South. All the black people that could vote, as they could in Memphis, were Republicans, at least through the uh, late 50s. And there was no real uh, conservative uh, opposition that was organized into a political party. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Nixon certainly was not a conservative. He was one that basically gave the green line on affirmative action to the EEOC, which is one of the most disastrous policies for conservatives and for white people that the government has ever passed. Uh, he And Gerald Ford was another, you know, go-along, get-along type of uh, uh, standard-issue Republican from the old days. Uh, was Goldwater what he was cracked up to be, Keith? He was uh, more so than, let's say... He wasn't anyone, George Wallace, but... He wasn't George Wallace, but, you know, I like the uh, story they had about when he went to um, Michigan and a supporter was taking him to the country club to play golf. And at the golf country club, they said, we're sorry we don't allow Jews to play uh, uh, golf here. <laughs> and he said, I'm only half Jewish. Can I play nine holes? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, see, those uh, he was uh, left wing, but on the other hand, he was not. Well, not Goldwater you're talking about. No, no. I mean, he was not a left winger. He was definitely a right winger, but. Like so many, he made something of an exception for the civil rights movement and what the South and the true conservatives throughout the country were looking for was someone that would actually oppose the civil rights movement. They couldn't find it. And, you know, the more things changed, the more they stayed the same. Basically, if you got but because of the reaction of the public and the electorate to what happened in 68, most of the uh, people in the country were conservative and wanted a conservative alternative, but both parties were dominated by liberals of various uh, stripes. So that's where we got into the predicament we're in today. All right, Taylor, yeah, back I, to you. I, I think it's I think it's very uh, fascinating what you were saying earlier, Keith. About you pointed out that uh, you know you had this. Some somewhat of a racist influence for a while in the Democratic Party, and then that was kicked out by this Cultural Revolution. And when they some of these people tried to go to the Republican Party, it's it's like you said. I think people forget the Republican Party was the original Liberal Party, so there was no there was no place for uh, like you were saying, yeah, for for like the more conservative, uh, more more pro white views to be expressed, and and that's remained the case. And I think that goes again to why I think this book is so valuable and so important. It's because we are still living uh, with the impact of all this, and and to a large degree, we haven't actually yet figured out, uh, you know, an answer. We haven't come up with a political expression for a response to this. Um, it, it's like you were saying, you know, people were looking for uh, some way to oppose this and and some 
political force to oppose it and they didn't find it and and so they lost and you know we we have not yet constructed it so i, I think it's it's another See, thing that makes people it like george relevant wallace to consider. show up we had people like george wallace come as a third party because of this search for an authentic voice for the right and what people i think are now becoming coming to realize is that the whole civil rights movement was a fraud it was a exercise in gaslighting. They wanted to make people in the South and elsewhere ashamed of being segregationists. Well, segregation is normal and natural. Birds of a feather flock together. And, uh, you know, basically black people have shown that they're segregationists too. They want separate graduation ceremonies. They want separate dormitories. They want separate courses of study. And no one complains about any other group's segregationist instincts except for white Gentiles. Well, interestingly, talking about uh, uh, Taylor was talking about the parties, of course, that flipped and uh, how people like us were left without a home in either you know, for, for so long. And it was George Wallace. That was the last time you had anyone other than a Republican and a Democrat carry states in a presidential election. You know, Ross Perot gets so much attention for getting a significant percentage of the vote, relatively speaking, but he didn't come close to carrying a state, uh, whereas George Wallace carried several. So anyway, just something to think about as we head into the last break. Uh, the civil rights movement was a way to split the white population, which is what the left quick, wanted to do. Quick timeout. One more segment with Taylor Young. Hello, TPC family. It's James, and I've got to tell you that I sleep better at night knowing that there are organizations like the Conservative Citizens Foundation. The purpose of the Conservative Citizens Foundation is to promote the principles of limited government, individual liberty, equality before the law, property rights, law and order, judicial restraint, and states' rights, while at the same time exploring the dangers posed by liberalism to our national interests and cultural institutions. The Conservative Citizens Foundation also seeks to educate the public on the dangers of extremist ideologies like critical race theory and cultural Marxism. I've worked with the good people at the Conservative Citizens Foundation for many years and their work comes with my complete endorsement. For more information and to keep up with all the latest conservative news headlines, please check out their website, americafirst.com That's M-E-R-I-C-A 1-S-T dot com americafirst.com in the medical field, IT security is crucial. Our highly skilled consultants are HIPAA certified and have 20 plus years of experience servicing medical clinics, billing and supply companies. We offer comprehensive endpoint protection, guarding your computers and servers against all stages of threats. And with our 24-7 monitoring services, you'll never worry about extensive downtime again. Ready to level up your IT support? Call 801-706-6980 today and discover how great IT services can be with managed IT services. Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements, too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net.
So at the top of the list of uh, Antelope Hill com's featured products, Generation 68, Taylor Young, uh, kicking off a brand new year of collaboration with Antelope Hill in uh, their first appearance uh, here at the end of January. Keith, again, I uh, rattled off uh, the list of chapters, which certainly kicks over every stone and examines what the scene was on the ground back during that unfortunate time. I don't expect you've committed all 31 chapters to memory, but what was something that maybe jumped out to you a little bit? Well, about the Port Huron uh, statement and the members of the so-called Chicago 7 and how these people were hyped as being these great revolutionaries and these brilliant people that were putting stuff together. Quite frankly, uh, the Chicago 7 couldn't organize a two-car funeral. Uh, these people were total uh, inventions of the media, the Jewish-controlled and run media. And that's who was behind all of this. Uh, and that was not advertised. And uh, I don't know if people knew it back then but were afraid to say it or whether they were just duped. But nonetheless, uh, it was like it was part of the Jewish takeover of America, America's government, America's entertainment industry, America's news media, both print and broadcast, academia, everything has been taken over. And this was this was like the great consolidation. This is where they basically they didn't come out and say right. they were Jewish, but this is where the real takeover came. Out. I certainly want to get back to our fantastic guest, but I got a question for you because we talk about this time period so much. Love the music. You know, <laughs> the early '60s, uh, late '50s. You go back to 1958. From 1958 to 1968, what was it about that particular decade that made conditions ripe for all of this to have occurred? Well, Jewish power and influence had got, grown to the point where they felt uh, comfortable flexing their muscles to really. Uh, of course, you had a nation distracted by Vietnam too. A lot of a lot of this happened. But see, I, my, my opinion, and I think we've shared this before, I think that about 1957 was the height, the apex of popular culture in America. The movies, things like this, they were still somewhat controlling Hollywood through the censor boards. Uh, people like Lloyd Benford in Memphis, my wife's, uh, my late wife's grandmother was on that censor board, and if they thought that a movie was morally objectionable, it wouldn't be seen in half of America. And back then, that would basically cut the profit margin of Hollywood in half, and that kept Hollywood somewhat under control. But again, pretending to be great uh, avatars and uh, defenders of the First Amendment. Right, exactly. <laughs> and now we see just uh, how... Jewish power and influence really there for free about, speech if it's their speech, but not if it's something that's uh, objectively critical. Taylor, back to you on this. I guess you know, Taylor, you and I weren't around then, but uh, we came later. What would you say though? What, what was it about that particular time in American history, that particular decade, particularly the late '60s, where it just it was seemed as though all from of it? Fifty-eight until sixty-eight, and sixty-eight is where it was consolidated and made permanent. Taylor, to you. Yeah, well, I think um, it does to a large degree just go back to um, the end of World War II and, and the defeat of uh, Europe, you could say, by America. And uh, um, when, you know, when that's your starting point, it's like, well, what, um, 
what kind of identity can can America and its in its newfound power and influence really uh, you know choose for itself? It's it's a lot more difficult to to try to go back and and say, well, actually, you know, we we do want national sovereignty, we do want hierarchy, we do want some of these traditional values and, and these things that we've contributed to defeating and, and siding with the communists to do so. Um, so I think that that is a very significant part for what ultimately like set us up for failure. So, like the powers that wanted that result uh, got their got what their wishes. They, they became ascendant in this country and they then uh, enacted this cultural revolution to solidify their their position basically and you're right too that see what people don't understand what it was not necessary for all this change to be made just because we won world war ii they could have won world war ii and then Re said, <laughs> in a know, it, relatively on, speaking and uh basically rested on their laurels but jewish power and influence had other interests in that and uh for example uh, right after World War II, you had Sweat versus Painter, which got rid of restrictive covenant. I, no, excuse me, that was uh, a black uh, law school uh, applicant who uh, Texas had a black law school, but he said that wasn't on a par with the University of Texas, and he wanted to go to the University of Texas. Then you had, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what the one was with the restrictive covenants uh, in St. Louis. Well, on real estate, where basically you had to sell your house to a person of the white race, that was knocked down. That's those are the two early victories. But of course, the uh, home run, the the grand slam, was Brown versus Board of Education, and the left found that they could uh, circumvent the constitutional order where laws are supposed to be made by the legislature through the supreme court but in doing so like in brown they totally ignored due process you know due process is basically deciding appellate cases on the bases that they are normally decided upon like stare decisis or legislative history or uh you know other things you know uh you know constitutional uh, well, that, yeah. uh, legislative history uh, things like that well, they just totally disregarded that and dreamt up a decision based on some half-baked sociologist paper by a black sociologist. And, see, that type of departure was going and making changes, and people that understood, you know, how the government was supposed to work were aghast at what was going on, but, you know, they didn't control the media. They didn't control the newspapers or the television stations or the uh, yeah, broadcasts the or the ma magazines and stuff. So all of this stuff just got, uh, you know, uh, ramrodded uh, that through. That and, of course, yeah, a lot of stuff going on legislatively speaking in the courts, of course, the Civil Rights Act, so on and so forth, so-called. And it was all originally with the courts and then... After the Civil Rights Act of 64, then the legislature got in on it. All right. So, Taylor, a uh, final word to you. And I, I got to say, it's nights like this uh, that remind me why we do this. And, and nights like this that make me proud that we do this. Uh, and uh, I want to thank Taylor Young again for uh, the uh, working partnership that we have with them. Why is this, uh, to put it into summation, Taylor, to bring it to a close, why is this book, Generation 68, something that people should have on their bookshelf in their home library? 
Well, again, like I said, I think it's because it's very important and it is a very relevant book and it does a lot to help explain how, where we are today and, and how we got there. You know, um, Keith was talking about how with Brown versus Board and, and other decisions, you had this seeming throwing away of, of norms and, and procedures that we used to have. Well, where else did you see that? You, you saw that at Nuremberg. And um you, you know, basically, it, it's it's exactly like you were saying, you know, people, a lot of people, a lot of especially Americans and, and the British and, and other uh, uh, Gentiles, um, they thought, well, you know, we've had wars with each other. What's what's one more? And, and um, what has actually happened is that in hindsight, this one was very different. And, and the outcome was very different because of um, the ability of, of Jewish power to capitalize on it and, uh, um, you know, take American influence and, and use it to its own ends. And that's a, a very that's a big part of, of what this it, book it, helps it, to explain and and uh, and describe so um you know definitely would recommend that people get a copy and and read about it in an important way america lost world war ii and this is how we lost it all right taylor final uh, well i guess i said final word how about a final final word with about a minute remaining uh let's let's look ahead uh, <laughs> We say it with every guest we've uh, had on over the course of the last couple of months now, it seems at least. Uh, looking forward to 2024, really hard to predict some of the things that may happen. What's going to happen at Antelope Hill over the course of the next year? What are you working on? Well, we got a lot of great books lined up. We're going to be releasing some uh, a couple more books in the near future. Um, we're going to, we have some books about uh, um Russia and some elements of Russian history. We've got, we're going to have another book coming out soon that's related to communism in uh, early 20th century Europe. And besides that, we've got a lot more. We've got translations from Germany, from Gregor Strasser, from Ernst Röhm, uh, from the Nuremberg Rally. Uh, we'll have another book by uh, British journalist Wyndham Lewis, Pale Face, The Philosophy of the Melting Pot, coming out later this year. Uh, we'll have another kid's book. Uh, about Napoleon, so there's a lot, a lot to look out for, and I encourage everyone to look out for it and uh, to uh, to check it out. Check out our website, what we've got already. Check out this book, definitely Generation 68, and uh, keep an eye out for everything we've got coming. We will, and uh, we'll be in touch with them every month. Taylor, thank you so much uh, for wrapping up our January here on TPC. We will talk to you again soon, my friend, and anyone else you send our way. Look forward to it. Thank you guys so much. Always great to be on here. Our pleasure. Entirely. Enjoyed having you on, and keep uh, the good books coming. Fantastic conversation. Fantastic guest. Uh, fantastic uh, show tonight. Jose Nino, I uh, thought we did okay ourselves in the first hour, Keith. And uh, we'll be back with everybody next week. Good night and Godspeed. On the air, go to www.thepoliticalcesspool.org.